1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast from RSO. This is Ron Spomer, and I am back to read another adventure article or something I've been handed here. Tenting Tonight, the hunter's age-old shelter gives you a head start on outdoor adventure. Oh, an article about tent hunting, tent camping and hunting, and how much fun it is. Oh, gosh, this should be cool. This is another American Hunter piece from July of 2002. I wrote a lot for the American Hunter magazine and still do, actually. I'm a field editor, have been for quite a few years. And, oh, this is cool. This is a, a letter to the editor. Oh, I got to brag on this one, guys. It says the Spomer Factor. Hey, here's a short note to let you know that your magazine has improved over the last year. It's great to keep up with all the activities of the NRA. I'm glad to see Ron Spomer as your field editor. I was on a desert mule deer hunt with Ron about six years ago, and it was certainly fun to have him in camp. Melvin Smokey. Hmm, I won't I won't give his last name in case somebody wants to go kick him. <laughs> From Texas. Oh, Melvin, that's really nice. Thank you, sir. Oh, man. Hope they don't print any letters from the guys who were in camp with me who had something on the opposite side to say. I'm sure there are plenty of those out there. Oh, anyway, I don't remember if that Texas hunt involved a tent camp, but this article is going to be about the joys and advantages of tent camp hunting. And I suspect I'm going to probably talk about how how to make those camps and what equipment one needs to do them. I had uh, a canvas elk tent in camp for many years in the Idaho wilderness. So I used them for deer hunting as well. That's just really fun. But also nylon backpack tents and a lot of outfitter camp tents and such. So let's just find out what this article is all about from 2002. Tenting Tonight by Ron Spomer, field editor. A tent is the place to live when you really want to hunt because it insulates you adequately while isolating you minimally from the outdoors. And the outdoors, with all its unpredictable discomfort, is not just where we hunt, it's why we hunt. Take away the misty sunrise, the sudden fall of snowflakes against a dark spruce forest, the lonesome keening of the wind through a rocky pass, the haunting cries of geese flying under a silver moon, the wild party yipping of coyotes, or the homey perfume of wood smoke, and you might as well gather your meat in a supermarket. <laughs> that might have been going a step too far, but. That sums up why it's so fun to have a tent camp. All right, let's dive into the meat of this one. 
So instead of checking the weather channel from a 70-degree room and then driving to your hunting grounds in a heated truck, camp out there in the real world. In a tent, you hear the wind rising in the pines, feel the temperature drop, smell the coming rain. You share the world of your prey with your prey, acclimating to its environment, your environment, the place you've missed those many months in civilized shelter. Your hunt is your time to reconnect, to rediscover ancient truths, uncover new ones, and find yourself again. Why insulate yourself from that in a thermostat-controlled artificial environment? Memories are made of this. Nothing about my last ten nights spent in a motel room miles from my daily hunting grounds stirs memories. But I'll never forget the night 27 years ago when I awoke in a tiny backpack tent perched on a ridge 6,500 feet high in Washington's Cascade Mountains. Silver moonlight glowed off the snowy shoulders of Glacier Peak, peeking through the rumbled tops of clouds blanketing the valleys far below. All around, the dark stone noises of lesser spires poked through the mists. The shadowy forms of a mule deer doe and two fawns bounded across the tundra meadow just beyond the tent door and disappeared into the clouds. Now, try finding that at Motel 6. I also remember the sheep hunt in the Alaska range when my guide and I awoke to a strange hush in our high tundra spike camp. Even the dancing alpine brook that had lulled us to sleep seemed subdued. We unzipped the tent door to a world of white. Throughout the morning, it snowed, making the search for white rams futile. We retreated to the little dome tent where a small backpack stove heated coffee, cocoa, and moose steaks. The snow kept falling, but we were safe in our nylon cocoon where we talked, read, napped, and waited until the unrelenting snow forced us to pack the horses and ride off the mountain through the three distinct winter wonderlands. First was the vast open tundra valley, white fields stretching to white peaks that disappeared into white cloud. Next came the dwarf forest, a fairy tale land of miniature green fir, red birch, and yellow willow frosted with snow. The leaves looked like sugared gumdrops, and when a horse brushed their snowy frosting loose, it looked as if someone had bitten into their dark jelly centers. Finally, down in the broad valley, silver ribbons of glacial meltwater hissed and gurgled through a bumpy blanket of snow-covered gravel and boulders. Across the braided channels, at the edge of a spruce wood, two canvas tents glowed orange with lantern light, wood smoke waving a welcome from the cook tent chimney. Wolves howled mournfully deep in the forest, but we didn't mind. We were home. Character-building experiences. Most of us come to tenting as we do to hunting. Young and full of romance, eager for the adventure of a, of a nomadic lifestyle common to our ancient ancestors. From Sioux in buffalo hide teepees, Maasai in mud and thatch rondevals, Mongolians in skin yurts, and Europeans in caves, ours is a long history of camping. A genetic memory that compels little girls to play under blankets draped over kitchen chairs, and little boys to build stick-and-leave forts in the back lot. We are by nature campers. Just as swallows build mud nests and woodpeckers drill cavities, so humans instinctively build temporary shelter outdoors. It is important we do this before we are brainwashed by adults trained to the numbing luxuries of an indoor existence. Sad is the teenager who arrives at his or, first, his or her first camp indignant over the demeaning inconvenience 
of sleeping on anything less than a queen-sized mattress. Pity the poor soul who complains of having to light a candle to find the outhouse. Celebrate the girl or boy who proudly and unbidden takes hatchet in hand to split kindling for the next morning's fire. Of course, few relish crawling from a toasty bag to kneel before a dead stove, but those who do more fully appreciate the glow that grows and crackles and roars. They feel a self-congratulatory smugness over their sacrifice, an accomplishment that is way out of proportion to a more significant event in their lives. Funny things are priorities. Camping accelerates character development in several areas. First, it puts humankind in perspective. We get just as cold, wet, and windblown as the birds and beasts. Second, it teaches responsibility to one's self and one's equipment. Wait to pitch the tent until finished with the first afternoon's hunt, and you'll be pounding steaks with a flashlight in your mouth. Or rain on your back. Third, camping leads us to the wisdom of patience. Wash before the water's fully heated, and you'll pucker. Fourth, camping teaches planning and thoroughness. Try starting a fire before laying a proper base of primer and kindling. All these things and more elevate tenting beyond merely a convenient way to access hunting grounds. Planning your tent camp. The most comfortable tents are the old-fashioned ones, the big canvas wall tents and teepees. They might weigh 100 pounds and require a small tribe to erect, but once they're up, they're worth it. Here is a shelter not only for sleeping, but also for sitting, cooking, eating at a table, cleaning rifles, drying clothes over a wood or oil-burning stove, and swapping lies by lantern light. Until you've done it, you can't appreciate how satisfying it is to sit inside a roomy tent with the flap open, watching rain fall, listening to it drum harmlessly overhead. More than one hunter has taken a deer or elk while looking over a rainy meadow from a tent door. Plan your tent camp properly, and you can even take a bath or shower. I enjoyed my first wall tent shower in Idaho's River of No Return Wilderness in 1986. While I was 17 miles from my car and 200 miles from home, I was within 100 yards of running water. All I had to do was fill a solar shower bag, hang it from a ridge pole over the front door, and stand under the soothing cascade. It wasn't the Hilton, but it felt every bit as good. My most luxurious camp shower transpired inside a teepee of all places during a pronghorn hunt with backcountry hunts and outfitter Steve Jones. Since Jones could drive to his New Mexico High Plains campsite, he pulled out all the stops, erecting a dining tent big enough to service Custer's cavalry. Tex-Mex chef Gil Turman turned out nightly feasts by raking coals around a half-dozen cast-iron Dutch ovens, cradling everything from beef, barbecued beans and potatoes, to fruit cobblers and cake. Four big teepees with cots set atop outdoor carpeting provided lodging for a dozen hunters. But the crowning glory was Jones's bathroom teepee, with a carpeted floor, a stack of fresh towels, and a shower stall that served was served by a 30-gallon water heater, fueled quietly but dependably by a propane tank. This was the height of tent luxury. More often, my camp showers involve heating five gallons of icy creek water on a stove or over a campfire, balancing naked on a weathered slab of planking torn from an old trapper's cabin, or pouring water over my head with a cooking pot. 
You'd be amazed how good a few cups of hot water feel after five days of climbing sheep mountains or how quickly you can soap down, scrub, and rinse in a 45-degree, 10-miles-an-hour breeze. (laughs) Well, that might not sound like fun. It's fun compared to dunking in a Montana mountain creek in mid-October. Whew, you soap down, you dive into rinse. Oh, with all natural biodegradable soap, of course. Focusing on baths may not be appropriate for assessing the charms of tent camps. Traditionally, the opportunity to skip the Saturday night scrub was considered one of the rewards of camp life. For some, it still is. But these are back-to-nature folks, often high-profile professionals who relish the rare opportunity to cut loose and go native. No razors, no deodorant, no soap, no foul for about three days. By the fifth day, when their tentmates begin complaining, they either borrow a few toiletries or get tossed bodily into a pond. Recent developments in scent-absorbing clothing offer an option for such olfactory offenders. As long as they keep their boots, pants, and jacket on and tightly secured all that fume escape points, they may be allowed to continue as part of the temporary social order. More obnoxious than body odor is snoring, the bane of many a perfect camp. Anthropologists theorize that tribalism began when silent sleepers banished their snoring kin. Why is it that the louder the snorer, the faster he falls asleep and the harder he is to waken? Just pronouncing the word pillow starts him roaring, slack-jawed, but igniting a 30-30 nearby won't interrupt his discordant symphony. I've been known to drag my cot 300 yards from camp to escape world-class snorers. Bracing for boo-boo Personally, I'd rather be kept up all night by bears or the threat of bears than by obnoxious snoring hunting partners. There's a bit of novelty and adventure in a marauding bear and a hint of danger. The only danger associated with snoring is that someone will finally lose control and strangle the offender. I don't want to diminish the deadly potential of a camp-raiding bear, but I'll confess to falling asleep while under attack by one. It was a medium-sized blackie that entered camp in late afternoon, shortly after I did, but shambled off when I shouted and beat the pans as instructed by all the proper government authorities. Bear season was open, but I didn't have a tag. I cleaned all traces of food from the cooking gear in a fire pit after supper, and then I went to take a scrub of my hands and face before retiring. Well, there, pacing the far shore, was my furry friend. After humping a 40-pound pack up and down Idaho's Rocky Mountains all day, I was in no mood for nocturnal visitors, so I hung my pack high, built up the fire, urinated to mark my territorial boundaries, and I crawled into the tent with a 357 Magnum. Of course, just as I was slipping into dreamland, Boo Boo snuffled in. Hoo-ha! Get out of here! He glumphed out. I drifted away, and he drifted back. Get out of here, bear! The last thing I remembered was a distinct shuffling, a snuffling sound, and then I fell asleep. The next morning, I was still in one piece, and my pack was still swinging from the high branches. But the plastic water bottle I'd left near the fire had four canine tooth punctures in it. Well, you know what they say about sleeping well after a hard day of hunting? It's true. I never heard a crunch. Attention to detail. Camp life doesn't always go smoothly, especially when you don't prepare properly. Once, deep in the Clearwater Mountains, I rolled out the backpack tent to discover all of its poles missing. Two years before, we'd forgotten a center pole. The tent stood okay without it until the afternoon it snowed when we were out elk hunting. 
we returned to find our home collapsed under its load of white. There was the night we lay on our backs listening to the wood stove crackle and ping while pretty little orange stars popped through our canvas roof. Someone had forgotten to put the spark arrestor on the stovepipe. But when freestanding dome tents became popular, we returned to camp to find ours missing. Since it hadn't required stakes and guy lines to erect, we hadn't used any. Now, when the wind kicked up, that tent rolled across the meadow like a giant tumbleweed, settled into a creek where we could just see its green cap above the surface. Then there was the night my brother kept finding the tent flap flapping in the icy breeze, so he tied it extra securely with a special knot. Within the hour, everyone awakened to the frantic scrapings of fingernails against canvas. It wasn't a bear trying to get in. It was a frantic hunter with a brilliant case of Montezuma's revenge trying to get out. He belly crawled under the flap to seek relief. Ah, there are more stories. Every camper has them. The flood that washed the tent away, the mule that nosed into the cook tent and ate the potatoes, the zipper that froze shut from the outside. Momentary inconvenience is one and all, which only add to the joys of hunting from a tent camp. Months, years, decades later, when the guns are cleaned and oiled, the stakes cut and wrapped in the snow deep on the mountains, hunters will gather and recount their adventures. At the core of the best of them, there will be a tent. Yeah, there were some adventures, and by golly, we're not finished yet. Uh, I've had quite a few new tent adventures since that was written, what, 20-some years ago? So, yeah, if you really want to milk a hunt and really have an adventure, consider taking a tent. Stay away from the RVs and all those convenient features. I mean, they're great, too. Don't get me wrong, but, boy, for the full experience, just being out there in a tent with all that goes with it is an essential part of the hunting heritage. Um, I definitely recommend it, whether it's a nylon tent or a big canvas tent or a teepee. They're all fun, and they keep you so close to the action. You see and hear so much more out there that you don't if you have to go back to even a cabin, let alone into town. That really takes the edge off of it for me if I have to go back to civilization when I'm hunting. So, yeah, And I think anyone can stand three to five days in a tent, if not two weeks, which we most of us have done. I've been out there for a while. Say, to get started in that kind of a tenting adventure, don't just buy the tent and then go out on your hunt and try to tent camp. You've got to practice beforehand. Get all that equipment out and learn how to use it. I usually set up new tents in the backyard a few times, so I get used to doing it. Um, but I'll also break out new stoves and lanterns and all the accoutrements that go along with tent camping and use them enough to get comfortable. Because once you get out there, you might be facing snow or rain to set camp up. You'll want to get it up in a hurry, and then you'll be comfortable. And also, you're going to be eager to hunt, so you don't want to spend a lot of time reading directions on how to start a stove or put up a tent. Get that stuff done ahead of time, and you will be ready to enjoy your camp and your adventure and your hunt. This is Ron Spomer. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, again, you can catch us on Ron Spomer Outdoors on YouTube, where we cover ballistics and guns and ammo and bullets and all that fun stuff. And ronspomeroutdoors.com, our website with lots of articles on these adventures and hunting and shooting. And we definitely want to thank our patrons for supporting us on Patreon. Your support really helps us out and it gives us the uh, enthusiasm to continue. So thank you so much, patrons. Until next time, this is Ron Spomer. Hunt honest and shoot straight.
On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. I'm Will Cooper host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. If you haven't already, download the free Waypoint TV app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from HuntStand Presents anywhere, anytime, and on any device.